What did we just watch, Amy? We just watched Twilight Los Angeles 1992 by Anna DeVere Smith, which is available now on PBS app streaming under their great performances. Yeah, except this one isn't technically called Twilight Los Angeles 1992. Okay, it's just Twilight Los Angeles. It's based on Twilight Los Angeles 1992. Because it's not as... So this is based on a stage play um, by Anna DeVere Smith, a one-woman kind of documentary theater piece. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is not a straight film film version of the stage play. Yeah, it's an adaptation. It's an adaptation... Of this, the, the play parts for a camera and then interspersed with footage and um, some of the interviews that she did. Mm-hmm. Although, because I've never seen her perform this, I don't know how much of like footage might have also been shown yeah. in the stage. And before we get into that, I think that it's important. <laughs> okay, one, this is our. Before we get into that, first. <laughs> Unrehearsed thoughts. I think this is the first time we've seen this play uh, performed, but I mean, I, I've read about it so many times. Yeah. And second, there's so much content in it that, um, what was the first thing I just said? Shoot. You've seen it a lot. You know it. You haven't seen it, but you know it a lot. Oh, yeah. And this is our unrehearsed thoughts. Yeah, we have no idea what we're talking about. As you can tell about. by that. <laughs> brain space I just had. There's so much content in this that is so important to talk about. It's so relevant to what is happening today, but it's also important, and I think we'll get to like the content and the connections and talking about that, but it's really important to also talk about the form yeah. that the play takes, because here, form and content are making meaning with each other. So you probably can't <laughs> like Like do- always? <laughs> But especially true here. Yes, like form always. and content always, always, always go hand in hand. Right. For your non-theater person, maybe focused more on like the issues discussed and not how they are performed and portrayed mm-hmm. in in um, in the show. So we probably won't get to both form and content equally <laughs> uh, in in brilliant ways. But I mean, I I anytime I see Anna Devere Smith, I want to talk form. Like that's that's I think the. I'm going to use this word, and it is not, it's going to sound mean, but that is her gimmick, is the form, that is her thing, but, like, literally as we were watching it, the only thing I could think about was, like, it only works because of that. Like, that's, I think what you're talking about when you say, like, form and content work simultaneously. Like, reading a transcript of these interviews, like, even just a verbatim copy of the script, so to speak, of this, does not work the same way because it's not being performed by Anna Devere Smith, like by this single actress performing all of these people embodying them in, in a way that I don't know that anybody else, I don't know of anybody else who does what she does. I think you can look to things like you're going to think you're thinking of tectonic theater project or no? I'm thinking of just performance ethnography. Well, this okay, is yes. an example of performance ethnography valid as well as kind of a documentary theater. Like putting one genre on Smith is uncomplicating it. <laughs> yeah. And if there's one thing Smith's performances do, it is complicate things. <laughs> yes. And so let's talk, let's go back for a second for yeah. people who've never heard of Smith or aren't familiar with her work. Um, 
uh, she is a black theater artist, and I think that it's important that she is black. Yes. Um, as we talk about the different characters of different races that mm-hmm. she performs, this would not work with a white actor doing all of these. No. And it's very, like, there's a lot of controversy about this with Anna DeVere Smith. Mm-hmm. It's complicated. Um, but what she does is she goes out in the field, does, like, hundreds of interviews with people mm-hmm. on various subjects. So this one is about the riots, the 1992 riots in Los Angeles. Uprising. Uprising. Yes. <laughs> Language is important. The response to the Rodney King verdict. Yes. Um, and, and she's done... She also did the Brooklyn Heights, um, that's Fires in the Mirror. Mm-hmm. More recently, she's done on Healthcare in the yes. U.S. I think she's done one since, though. I'd have to go look it up. But yeah, yeah Let Me Down Easy was her one on Healthcare, which is on HBO. Yeah, that we should watch that, too. Um, I have watched that one, I know. Okay. <laughs> I remember watching that one. Okay. <laughs> um, she So she does all these interviews, and then she puts them, pieces them together, um, the different people... So dramaturgically, the, she puts the interviews into conversation with each other when these people were not, the interview subjects were not in conversation. Mm-hmm. And she performs as the interview subjects. Yes. Um, she adopts their vocal qualities. Uh, she avoids, uh, adopts mannerisms, body gestures, stance. Um, she embodies so them. She, she embodies them. And... Um, as much as possible, will kind of change costumes as another signal of it. Mm-hmm. It's a little harder to do, and one that in these film adaptations doesn't really show uh-huh. um, how much she changes between characters and how she's yeah changes between. Yeah, I, I I don't remember her doing a lot of costume changes in Let Me Down Easy, which might just be a thing I didn't notice at the time. Um, but I, I she may not have. I feel like. She didn't do a lot. I think it was it was very much the embodied performance, um, and it is it is mimicry almost like it is mimesis to use the Greek. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, <laughs> the Greek word. Yeah, the Greek word. <laughs> uh, and you know, I don't know what her process is, but the the goal is to be as authentic as possible the vocal tics the the repetitions the the ums and uhs that we cut out of things she is very intentionally leaving in mm-hmm. as she is again putting these these interviews in conversation with each other um and is is transformative like i am always blown away it's weird i'm always blown away by how much she disappears into these roles right <laughs> With very little physical appearance yeah. change. Yeah, I mean, occasionally her hair was different in this performance, yeah. and yet she would be wearing different costumes. But like, she doesn't. She doesn't look different. She sounds different. She is physically embodying a different person. Um, yeah, just like I, I. That's all I can think about sometimes is how. I don't want to say unique, but like just how she embodies these people and how it is so impressive because it is always one person doing all of these things, but also how well, because she can disappear into these roles, so to speak, and, and bring them forth in almost, you know, in possessive sort of way, possessed sort of way, um, 
allows them to all be heard with equal weight. Yes. Like, I think that's what I'm trying to get to, is is because she is so successful at it, and we, you know, the one of the things that I was thinking about watching this was how many times it would be cut between interviews. Um, and You mean the live filmed interviews or on the theater? No, sorry, but between her characters, I should okay. put it that way. So we would see a character and we would get a monologue. I mean, they're all monologues. We would get a, a, a scene from a character and then we would cut to something else. Sometimes it would just be to another person. Sometimes it would be to archival footage or an actual live interview with a human, another human. Um, but I almost felt like that took away some of the magic of seeing the con- continuity that a stage show provides. I agree. And that's been, um, that's been a critique I've had about the fire, the PBS great performances of fires in the yeah. year. Yeah. And the reason why we, sh- when we show it in classrooms, sometimes the students are like, mm, what, why this do you weird. love this artist so much? <laughs> um, cause it doesn't, because it's stage play mm-hmm. and it's gonna, it reads very differently on film. Yeah. Then in stage play. But another thing that happens with her embodying all this, like there is the kind of disappearance into mimesis, but there's also sort of this Bertolt Brecht thing happening where her performance of them across all of these mm-hmm. characters really like distances the character from itself. Mm. Like brings on a new kind of understanding of it mm-hmm. than if you were just watching an interview with that real person Mm -hmm. that was filmed, which is one of the reasons that it's so important that this is like a staged play. It's a different medium than a film documentary, Mm -hmm. the different things it does. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good point because you're seeing a black woman performing a white commissioner of the police or police chief or, a Korean shop owner whose life has been devastated because of these things that that does. Yes. I, I like that distancing it from itself. Um, that forces you to look at what's happening in a new way, which is, as you say, very Brechtian. Right, Brechtian <laughs> That's alienation all that that is. Technique. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she doesn't exaggerate the characteristics mm-hmm. of, of the, um, different subjects. Yeah, I, it gets. There are complex. There are very complicated parts that she's playing other people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you hear like a Korean voice mm-hmm. through someone who's not Korean, people get like into this. Well, is it kind of like a an Asian minstrelsy mm-hmm. yellow face maybe that's happening? But um, it's. People have written about this. It's, it's complicated. It's very complicated. Um, I err on the side that I, th- I think that she is not exaggerating anything. Mm-hmm. So I'm on an ethical okay side. Yeah. I I mean, her, her intent is not everything. And intent is a lot of times not anything. But I think her intent is to replicate exactly. And yeah. she's doing her best to not exaggerate. Yeah. And to be that mirror, so to speak, of these people and these experiences. On the other hand, white actors, don't do this. (laughs) Do not put people of color... Voice into your mouth. (laughs) Like, voice. Yeah. As actors. In public. (laughs) Yeah, if you want to read Fires in the Mirror to yourself in the bathroom, that's fine. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Use it as practice, but... Expose yourself. 
to all. Definitely. Please expose yourself to all these yeah. different voices. Yeah. Notes from the Field was about a recent one. It was about education in America. I remember that. I was looking it up. Um, yeah. So something I wrote down was something I really like, I really appreciate about Devere Smith, uh, her, her work, um, right, as we were talking, not exaggerated mm-hmm. viewpoints. Um, clearly, she's taking you on a narrative direction because she's choosing which parts of interviews oh, yeah. to cut from, how they go together, the order you the see them story. in. Yeah. But the overall like experience of it, to me, she's complicating matters, and she's never pointing to one right viewpoint. Mm-hmm. That there are a lot of viewpoints. I do think that she points towards some that may be wrong or problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, often from the white characters, and I don't know. I gotta think about if that's her performance of it, or it's just that some of the white subjects say dumb things. I mean, the... the and she repeats them for you. I think you. it's both. I mean, the, the scene where she's playing the cop talking about how to use a club appropriately, like, yeah, that, has, that has power because she's the one doing it. But it also puts it into contrast of the sort of ridiculousness of these statements and these perspectives. Right. So this is um, Sergeant Charles Duke. Good. You took better notes on who the characters were. I wrote down all the characters' (laughs) names. And he's talking about the use of the baton in the Rodney King beating. Yes. And he is explaining in a very, like, matter-of-fact way, oh, well, the reason that they had to like hit him 56 times is because they were holding it wrong and weren't beating him hard enough to do it less and this wouldn't be a problem if we didn't if we had to keep if we were allowed to keep using the chokehold he wants to call it the chokehold but he knows he's not supposed to call it the chokehold he calls it the upper body control hold yes he he slips a couple times and calls it the chokehold because that's what he wants to call it (laughs) which her replication of again highlights that he is not saying that in a way that I don't know comes across in a filmed interview in the same way. Um, right. So he's not, she's not playing it up that this is a ridiculous no. w- way to view um, <laughs> the Rodney King you know, assault. <laughs> yeah. It, it's just the coming through her mm-hmm. body and just his words Yeah, is like, you're like, this is ridiculous ridiculous and like Mm -hmm. completely misses the point of why this was wrong yeah (laughs) you're 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 not watching the it the same way the rest of us are yeah yeah so i think and and yes there's obviously editorializing and she is highlighting those ridiculous moments often in the mouths of white people but i also think about the um the woman that opens the show who i believe is white is is she sure. reads that way. She read as white. Um, which, again, is complicated because most of the know. characters don't ever make it clear if they are white or not. Yeah. There's a lot of, like, inferring and things like that, which is... Right, you get of... to cheat a little bit on this. And again, I don't know how footage shows up in the stage show. But yeah. because they do show some of the people in footage, you You know, see, yes. Yeah. Um, the... Which, which again, I don't know how it's used in the stage show either, but I didn't love the use of footage. No, I want my like. I just want to see it on stage. Yeah, just I, film this, it for me on stage. This, this, I think. I think the footage is an attempt to adapt this story to a different medium. But I want the other medium. Yeah. <laughs> we gotta go with what we have. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, the woman who opened it, we literally paused like not a minute and a half into the thing. Going, Elaine Young, the real yes. estate agent. Yes. Um, talking about plastic surgery and is that sort of like weird moment and of, I don't know where I was starting with this, but I'm going to end with um, talking about how she had to have silicone removed from her body because it was being harmful to her, that she had plastic surgery and it caused additional problems. And then that moment clicked into place for me when they were talking about Rodney King's surgeries to like recreate his face and body after the, the surgery or yep. after the, the assault. Yes. And by his, by Rodney King's aunt in a yes, later, in a later scene. Yeah, but I had to ask, We, you know, two minutes into the film, I had to ask you to pause, and I, <laughs> yeah. and I said, wait, is she just talking about plastic surgery in her face and 38 surgeries, like, about plastic, or did she get injured in <laughs> the the uprising, the revolution yeah. um, in 92? And you're like, I don't know yet. Yeah. And the answer was, she was just talking about plastic surgery mm-hmm. because the reason she was at the Beverly Hills Hotel was because she was doing her advocate work yeah. for don't get silicone implants. Mm-hmm. They're, they're dangerous. They'll hurt, they'll hurt you. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was an interesting character. And there are there there are multiple characters that show up throughout the re- the entirety of the show um, that, that give it some of its narrative story structure. Uh that are, that are neat. Sorry, I keep looking at my phone. My notes are in my notebook. Mm. Um, yeah, I and I think it's fascinating that in the context of this moment where we exist now, how relatively absent the stories of the police are in this. Um, because of the, the, this doesn't have a conflict in the traditional sense. It's not that kind of a place, not kind of, that kind of a story, but we hear a significant amount and we hear the stories of, in, in particular, the black people and then the Koreans who, who were dealing with the, the uprising, harming their property and their stores and things mm-hmm. like that. And we get the story of the Korean woman shooting a black child and, um, you know how that happened literally days after the Rodney King beating and what that the tensions that existed between those two communities mm-hmm. and it felt like a lot of the stories about those three days were about that conflict um, when I feel like and I'm not saying that you can directly compare them I feel like if you were to remake Twilight Los Angeles and call it Twilight Minneapolis 2020 you would have to talk about the police you would have to hear those stories in a way that maybe we didn't have to hear in because we hear the story from at least one or two of the cops who who assaulted king Mm -hmm. we hear some from the higher-ups the police commissioner and the chief and the head of the board Um, but i think we didn't get the perspective of the people on the ground, um, the officers on the ground. Yeah, and you, I mean, you got to also wonder how much of that is people willing, officer, police officers willing to be interviewed. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, so the critiques that we do get of the police are mostly, um, I think, of higher up yeah. problems, um, like the sergeant or one of I don't know. I'm not going to look for it right now, but the. The one police officer who's talking, we're going to 
you know, the main police precinct station in L.A. And the chief and the is there. And the chief of police is getting in the car <laughs> to go to Brentwood for a fundraiser. Yeah. And so the presence of that story is like a critique of, of this chief of police doing that. And then there's a part of the chief of police, um, I think, of an actual footage shot. I think that was one of the footages of him saying, no, it, it wasn't a fundraiser. It was just like some friends. Who... No, that was, that was her. Oh, that was her. <laughs> That's um, how good she is. <laughs> was that actual footage of him? Uh, um, the, you know, he's like walking it back and mm-hmm. he said, I just, I just was going to go there and tell him I can only be here for a minute. Cause I think there's a riot up like brewing right mm-hmm. now. Um, and it just so took so long to get to the door. To, you're led to believe that, <laughs> That is a bad thing for the chief of police to be doing <laughs> um, at this critical yeah. juncture. And I think the other um, the other main country, well, of course, the baton example yeah. of the police just not yeah. getting. Well, and I think I think the other thing that's going on in that scene with the police chief and the fundraiser is she. Devere Smith keeps cutting back to the Korean shop owner talking about her husband dying. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And that is one of those moments where she is switching before the camera, so to speak, where yes. it's not cutting between different people. We're seeing her move between characters mm-hmm. that is really impactful. Yeah. Um, like I, that, I feel like that was a, an editorial decision. We're like, no, we have to leave this part in. We have to show her doing both. Um and and contrasting the various moments in time that were roughly similar in in what was going on, and the mm-hmm. police chief was over here. Meanwhile, this shopkeeper was dying, and like, what does that look like? Um, Where are their priorities? Yeah, what and, are their concerns? How do their concerns yeah, differ? Yeah, and you know, uh, the shop owner talking about how her husband, you know, gave to these organizations, and he was yes. looking out for the city, and you know, what did he get for it? He got shot. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was um, killed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other critique of the police is the acquittal, I think. Yes. The, um, the four, the four cops. police officers. The, the four were charged. I think there may have been more there. I don't I don't actually know the history of the Rodney King situation very much, um, other than it happened and got filmed. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, if it hadn't gotten filmed, none of this would have happened. Which is and, not a good well, thing. Well, <laughs> and still, and with it filmed, like, not enough. Yeah. Well, uh, not mentioned in this story, but I've, I remember a, an episode of This American Life, Fire Glass, uh, where they talked about how the defense of the police used the video to defend the police's actions. Of like they're they're this is why they're doing this and like as he's on the ground you know being beaten that he's oh this is this is you know they're protecting themselves um, because they see it in a, such a different light mm-hmm. and that's all I can think about every time right. I see that video is is there are people who watch that and think that King is in the wrong <laughs> right right just like uh, Eric Garner's video I remember watching oh, yeah. something where there was. Um, like a police officer going through the video and explaining all the things that Garner was doing to threaten the police mm-hmm. and resist arrest as he was being killed and why it was necessary, right? Yeah, like, um, yeah, to kill him. Yeah, um, yeah. The other critique I think that happens is um, when they're talking about the Reginald Denny beating. Yes, and they're uh, she's juxtaposing Denny and Paul Parks, who. Um, 
I can't remember. It was one his... of the assailants. Oh, okay. No. Or is it related to one of the assailants? Well, one of the assailants was an interview subject. It was Keith, Keith. Hudson. Was Yes, okay, that's um, what I'm thinking of. So I didn't write down Paul Park, um, but he—I he, remember he's an activist. Yes, and and like a community task. Yes, and they—they they, yeah the the he had a long title. I remember now. Yeah. Um. So pointing out the discrepancy of like, uh, the Reginald Denny is a white man, um, pulled out of a truck and beaten up mm-hmm. by um some black men. Yes. And it's filmed by a helicopter crew. Why that helicopter crew, like, didn't call the police and have... Or they did, and the police were just scared to go to South L.A. to do anything about it. Um, So that's on film. Yes. And immediately, the the assailants, in that case, were, like, charged. Yeah. Arrested, charged, went to trial. Yeah. Yeah. And they were going to be found guilty. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Were they found guilty? Not, I don't know if that's made clear in the story that we see. Yeah. If it was, I don't remember it. But there was a much faster, like, path yeah. to, like, to punishing. Yeah, to yeah. just, for punishing them than there ever was for um, the police officers and Rodney Kings. Mm-hmm. So that, between those two interviews juxtaposed are kind of yes. giving you that. That perspective. Um, that perspective. So uh, that sounds like a lot of critique of the police, but it's not... It's not in, like, an abolish the police moment that yes. we're in right now. Um, Which is fascinating to see the differences. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, I lost... It's critiquing the police, but in a different way than what we're seeing now. And it's it's a pretty small portion of, of the, the story of the overall story. Yes. Um Another thing that I don't think would happen now would be showing the footage of Rodney Keyes yeah. meeting and Latasha Harlan's shooting. Yes. I I have been conditioned to not share those sorts of things and, and understand the danger of continuing to show black people being murdered. <laughs> yeah, so there needs to be a content warning on it. It does have a content warning about graphic images. Yes. Uh, but I think they do need to... Like, say, this is what you're about to see does contain the footage of. Yeah. Um, And I think one of the jurors in the second Rodney King trial talks about how, like, numb she became to it. Right. I wrote down, she she said that, like, eventually she had seen it so many times you could just sit and watch it with soda. Yeah. And. Which is one of the reasons (laughs) why it's not good for everyone to be posting. Yes. Um, (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think, and I'm, I, I'm really curious if that footage gets used in the play. Because my, my gut says probably not. But I don't know. But it was a piece of footage that in that moment was being shown constantly. Yeah. It, was, it, is, it is so literally iconic in the sense of like the, um, I mean, I think of the, the Tiananmen Square, like the guy in front of the tank. Mm-hmm. Like it, it is so iconic. And it is like also the guy in front of the tank at the Tiananmen Square. Like God disappeared. Nobody knows who that is. He's gone forever. Um, or the Kent State shooting. Like those sorts of iconic things that it's not good that they're iconic, but I don't know. It. I understand the decision to do it even today. 
with Rodney King specifically. I don't think it's the right choice, especially without a strong content warning saying, hey, you're about to watch the Rodney King tape. Um, but it's... it. The meaning has shifted in a way that I, I don't know that I can articulate well. Mm-hmm. It's our first impressions. Yeah. We didn't practice <laughs> We don't know what we're doing. <laughs> we're going to get stuff wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had a question, and this is something that, that occurred to me as, I, as we were watching. We're getting close to the end of it. Um, I was noticing that many of the interviews are directed straight to the camera. Um, mm-hmm. which is and a very intentional, deliberate choice that, that draws you in, puts you in the place of a witness in a lot of ways that um, I think film can sometimes ignore because mm-hmm. uh, I think film becomes the eye of God rather than the eye of an individual because mm-hmm. we don't look into the camera. Um, and then so I was, I was then thinking about, well, like, who, who are they talking to? Like, obviously, they're talking to Anna DeVere Smith in the context of being interviewed. Um, but I had the question, like, is this play... And also true of Fires in the Mirror. Is this for white people? Like, is that who she's trying to talk to in this moment? Mm. And I don't know if I have, if there's a, there's not a a yes or no answer to that, but I think it's an interesting question. It is. That needs lots of unpacking. Yeah. And um, discussion. (laughs) But, I mean, you look. It premiered at the Mark Taper Forum yeah. in Los Angeles, um, which, you know, is a sort of theater. You're you kind of your typical high profile theater, mm-hmm. as far as I know. Yeah, and I think it was um, on Broadway at one point as well. It was, yeah, yeah, because it was up for a Tony Award. That's right. Um, so theaters that are um, the ticket prices are not accessible mm-hmm. unless you are at least kind of in the middle class, <laughs> yeah. at least. Um, predominantly white audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that, that's something. Yeah. I just, I, I think about the sort of, um, again, cause you can't escape the context of the moment we're in. And, you know, one of the refrains that I've seen on social media is, are you tired of seeing these things? Are you tired of hearing these things? Try being black. Try dealing with this all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wonder how much of these stories have already been experienced by black communities in the sense that they're no longer novel. But here's another point. Yes. Um, so I mean, there's not going to be one reading on this. Of course. And we can't. We can't say. <laughs> of course not. Um, we could write an article about it and, and, and come up with a viewpoint. But one of, I mean, there are several critiques that she's making that, uh, and here it's, it's very similar to Fires in the Mirror. And one of them is just the way that anti-blackness permeates the U.S. Yes. Across all racial lines. Yes. Um, that it is not only white people that espouse anti-black mm-hmm. viewpoints. But the other thing that she complicates um, is presence of anti-Semitic, anti-Korean, anti-Asian American, anti-Latinx, although mm-hmm. they're not using Latinx at the, at the time, that was before that word, among black communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and among other people of color communities. And to me, that critique um, is, 
and I think one of the characters said this too in it is that's one of the ways you control yeah. people of color is, is that you, divide you hit them. them against each other mm-hmm. and that that is a tool of white supremacy yes that um, is so and those are important critiques that like everyone needs to hear mm-hmm. and explore somewhat that's fair yeah a good thought. What? And you look at the space, um, I mean, she gets to she gets to anti-black views among some of the, uh, like, Korean subjects she's mm-hmm. interviewed. Um, yeah, you, you hear you hear the racism across all the lines. But kind of the last, um, I think it was I think it was Young Suhan. I believe so. Uh, who if, had a pretty lengthy interview towards the end, mm-hmm. and and she's talking about um, this feeling of coming to the U.S. and feeling like it's a place of opportunity and law and order. And um, I may be getting that one mixed up with another one now that I think about it. But um, and she's like, we should be on the same side mm-hmm. with the black community. But you know, she she goes to some uh, stereotypes of they're lazy, they're they don't ref- work, yeah. So this welfare queen sort of um, uh, line myth, myth <laughs> that um, is being is definitely being recycled there in yes. the eighties and nineties. Yes. Um, and she's like, and we don't get any of that help because we have cars and we have houses and mm-hmm. we have uh, stores and it's not fair, but I want to like reach out and bridge the differences. But now that we've had this destruction, I can't mm-hmm. um, do that. So again, complicating. Yes. Yeah, there's, I mean, that's um, that's all this play does is complicate things, yeah. which is great. I I think I think it's really important to to say that she's complicating things, but there's also still it's not it's not both sides in anything, which I think is really important here. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no reading of this play that comes off saying the attack on Rodney King was a good thing. Right. Um, there, there's not a reading that exists in that space. No, and there's not even any mention like of police officers trying to justify no. what started it. Yeah. Um, and so like it, it's interesting to me, and I think it's important, that it complicates things while still having a moral backbone and still having a viewpoint and a purpose um and and a a bias towards truth but the idea that there's not one truth that it's a complicated thing but there's still things that are incorrect there are still things that are wrong not only is it there's not one truth but there's not one consensus yes like, there's not one black viewpoint one korean viewpoint yes that there are differences and nuances mm-hmm. and opposite opinions and mm-hmm. experiences which going back to the form of the show like seeing all of those embodied through a single human body bridges that gap in a in an incredibly powerful way in a way that is is hard to put into words sometimes but the idea that you know we are multitudinous we have multitudes amongst us we are not 
there is no unified anything mm-hmm. um, that I think is really powerful. But I feel like sometimes I think about people who critique like postmodernism says there's no truth, or that it's not what post. I know. I know. <laughs> it's not time to define postmodernism. I know, today, but that's but... the critique. Is there? They say, well, if anything, if there's no truth and anything can be true, and it can, you know, everything is doesn't matter in both sides. And something that I struggled with as I was discovering these things back in grad school and even since is that just because there are multiple perspectives and multiple truths doesn't mean there isn't still right and wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, And those things can be complicated without losing a moral center necessarily, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, without, you know, saying like, hey, white supremacy is a system that we all benefit from us white people. And it's bad. But how it's bad and how it's impacted the individual is different everywhere. And what does that mean? And how does how do we see that? And that's one of the reasons I really like Anna DeVere Smith stuff is that she does that. And she does it through showing you people, mm-hmm. showing you perspectives. And kind of, it, like, it, like I said, it kind of feels objective. <sighs> it's not. It's not. It's absolutely not. <laughs> But you're going but it from tricks person you into to person. It. You're like, okay, oh, hey, that's a good point. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a good point. Yeah, um, they should have held the sticks differently. <laughs> yeah, no, that, <laughs> that was not a good point. <laughs> it was for its critique against police brutality. Um, yeah. I gotta say, one of the moments that stood out to me the most was mm-hmm. um, the, that dialogue between Reginald Denny and Paul parks where they're talking about the two rooms that they would put in their house oh yeah yeah Um, because you gotta watch i know that like these uprisings destruction of property i understand i think i work to understand why it's necessary as maxine waters says here in in the play right is the voice of the unheard Mm -hmm. like um when you have no path to justice you destroy property yeah. like that. Um, so that's, that's also a long discussion. That's not really addressed reasons mm-hmm. for, for this. Yeah. I, I think that's an interesting thing is that there, it's never justified. She doesn't try to justify what happened. She tries to show you, she tries to show you maybe how it happened and, and, but, but never like it was right or it was wrong or, or, I don't think she thinks it was wrong, but um, it's the same as the, the Spike Lee quote of only white people ever ask me if he did the right thing and yeah. do the right thing. <laughs> she doesn't she doesn't right, need so to justify it. It's not it. a build up so much to mm-hmm. the destruction. Yeah, that, that happens. Um, but you're talking about two rooms. So the two rooms. So Reginald Denny, as I said, was the white truck driver who got pulled out of his truck mm-hmm. and beaten and is being watched the entire time by a news crew mm-hmm. and then broadcast live yes. on televisions. That this is happening. happening. Um, and you got my reaction is, well, that's not good. Yeah. Like, <laughs> maybe. Don't maybe be, don't do that. Don't, maybe don't beat him up. I got, I got to think about that. If that is my implicit bias coming through. Um, uh, in, in a way that I understand the riot, the necessity, necessity of riots. But um, so she's doing an interview with him 
later he's kind of talking about his experience in the hospital Mm -hmm. and he's just kind of like smiling the whole time as he's telling this like it's a fun anecdote Mm -hmm. um and i knowing devere smith's process i'm assuming she's copying his gestures and um facial expressions Mm -hmm. it's a little disconcerting um, yeah, <laughs> how he's kind of like showing off and he's talking about cool when I get a big house I'm going to have a room dedicated to the riots and I'm going to put um, happy things in it mm-hmm. like all the cool all letters, the letters I, I got, got. Yeah. and kind of like how cool is experience mm-hmm. the, the aftermath yes. of yeah. it was um, which can be read as a very like optimistic thing like, and I think that's how he would put it, is like, you know, something good came out of this. I'm focusing on the positive. Yeah, yeah. Which, but it's also bizarre to have yes. a happy room <laughs> devoted. To um, that coma you got put in. Well, and to this, like, brutal experience in yes. 92. Um, for everyone um, in L.A. So juxtaposed against Paul Parks, who's... Um, I think was related to one of the assailants. He's an activist. Mm -hmm. And he's talking about how he would... um, have a room in his house dedicated to the riots that would be, like, one side would be no justice and the other side (laughs) would be no peace. Yeah. And it's such a different imagining and representation Mm -hmm. of... um, of this moment. <laughs> I think it was Paul Parks. That's what, yeah. Then I wrote I'm down, he said something anti-Semitic and anti-Korean. So. <laughs> he probably did. Um, People are complicated. Yeah. Uh, here's a, just a, a right turn of a thought. All the sen- all of the bad words were censored except for the N-word. Yeah. That that's a real weird. weird choice. I don't know if that's a PBS choice or if that was the the movie's choice. I it feel like it be, wasn't PBS. This is yeah. made for PBS. This I had guess to yeah. Be, yeah. This was originally broadcast on PBS. Yeah. Um, that was a weird choice. <laughs> like I understand. I don't necessarily agree with. I understand the decision to mute bad words on PBS. Um. I think with a performance like an Anna Devere Smith one, those words are important. Yeah, as I, are I all really of the wish words. They bleep out words. Yeah, I think all of the words, especially in a performance like this, are very important. Um, and I noticed it the first couple times it happened, and I was like, "Oh, that's awkward." Like it always is when you cut somebody's, you know, have a minced oath. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we heard the N word a couple times, and I was like, "Oh, why is right, this but okay?" They didn't. That we're now we're okay leaving that in, huh? That's a good point. That's a really interesting decision that we've made. Why is this okay, but ass isn't? Right. <laughs> um, and and I wonder, like again, because I I think you do this too. We think about the production of it instead of just because there is no outside of text. It's all part of the text. Um, like, is that something that was it was done? I mean, it was intentional to some extent, but. You know, was it, no, we have to have this word be said? Like, you can cut everything else, but we have to hear them say this. It's too Mm -hmm. important not to. Mm -hmm. Or is it, well, all of these are bad words, but this is okay. Yeah. (laughs) That is a super important question. Uh, uh, Because I think think there's a distinction there that's really important. Because I think 
all of them are important to say and or to be heard in this context. And I think that's extra true of the N-word in this context when you're dealing with something so heavily steeped in the black experience. Um, but, again, you can't say ass. <laughs> right, right. So thinking of the context, the text of PBS, it's yeah. predominantly a white educated audience. Mm-hmm. I don't have stats on that, so I probably should better check, yeah. double check that that's... <laughs> Uh, not just a stereotype. It feels correct, but that head. doesn't make it true. <laughs> right, and that's the one word white people, maybe not the one word. But it's a very important word that white people shouldn't be saying. Can never say. They can never say it. <laughs> yeah, just don't. Don't say it. And if you want to talk about why, just contact me yeah. and I will give you a longer we'll explain explanation <laughs> of why. Don't say it. Just, just hum. hum. <laughs> when you get to that part in the song, just hum. Yeah. Yeah, that is a very interesting question. Yeah, I I just was like, really? That's okay. We're okay with that on PBS, are we? <laughs> or again, was it too important not to? Like, I think about um, uh, the Carmichael Show versus Blackish because mm-hmm. they both had episodes dealing with the context of that word, mm-hmm. and Blackish always cut away when it was being said. You know, somebody responded, or you heard a horn honk, or something happened. Um, whereas the Carmichael show just had people say it. Well, and, but it was concentrated the one episode that was yes, about but it, that in, word. But in both cases, that was true. Yeah, that's true. You know, Blackish doesn't deal with that word 99% of the time, but they had an episode about it. And Carmichael show had an episode about it on different networks. Yeah, Carmichael was NBC. Um, but it was really like, I think the Carmichael show episode worked better because they said it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because we have to talk about it sometimes and why we shouldn't say it and what does that mean? Um, white people, shouldn't, white people say shouldn't say it. Anyone who is not black shouldn't should not say, say it. it. Yes. Um, and that episode dealt with a white person saying it and why is that okay? And, and again, putting that in art is a different thing been saying it in conversation as well. Mm-hmm. I think we're wandering a little bit far from the point, but that's what we do on the show sometimes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also, if you haven't watched the Carmichael show, oh, it's great. It's amazing. It's got canceled way too early. Yeah. And it's on Hulu if you'd like to watch yeah. the Carmichael show. One of the show. best sitcoms the last 10 years. Yeah. It was so good. Take that, Office and Parks and Rec. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have another thing. Do you yeah. have another thing? I have, I have many things. You have What's many your things? thing? Okay, so I was thinking about... Um, I was just thinking about the early 90s context in which this is taking place. We've got Mm -hmm. the AIDS epidemic. It's still not really being addressed Mm -hmm. by... Anyone in government. Anyone in government. (laughs) You've got the Rodney King Mm -hmm. tape, the beating, the aftermath. You've got... And then I was thinking about the O.J. Simpson trial. And Mm -hmm. I had to double check my dates in, in 95. And... Like, how much better, I think I understand the context that the uh, Simpson trial took place in, mm-hmm. in L.A. at the time. And, and I, I've been do, I've been thinking about the O.J. Simpson trial a lot recently as an adult, mm-hmm. um, experiencing it. And we watched the... FX fi- show. The FX show that, that fictionalizes it, mm-hmm. which is also really good. You should... Should watch, watch that. that. I forgot what it's, it's called. It's on Hulu. Uh, American Crime Story, the O.J. Simpson oh, yeah. trial. Yeah. Or the trial of O.J. Simpson. Um, and I was thinking about how... So I had to check my dick. Uh, the trial was in 95. 
which put me in the fourth grade. And I remember specifically talking about the O.J. Simpson trial in the fourth grade. And one of our essay prompts, because we were getting ready for a writing state exam, yeah. was um, the day the verdict was to come back was to write whether or not you thought he was guilty and why. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's fascinating. I definitely wrote down guilty and we can talk about what that means and all of its implications also at another point and we can talk how that's part of my anti-racism work now um although no no one is denying now that that he did it he did it this, the, this the, point the, that's a separate question from the trial itself yes. <laughs> yeah. um, oj simpson did it yes yes um but how, so in 92, we, I, we never talked about these riots. No. And I think that would have put me maybe in first or second grade. I was, I would have um, been six, so first grade in 92. Oh, so that I would have been second or third. Yeah. Second or third grade. Elementary school. Yeah. Yeah, and this, this wasn't talked about. I don't know when I learned about this. Uh, like that image, that video image is like seared in my brain. I've yes. seen it so many times. Yes. But I don't know. When I learned the context, yeah, I did. I it. I heard the name Rodney King a lot before I ever knew who he was or what it was in context. Oh to. yeah, I always thought it was the fight promoter. Me too. That's what I thought. Because that's history class. That's and what we got. Studies and all of my media <laughs> consumption at the time. Yeah, I thought those were the same guys, and I was I was always like, why is this boxer guy like important to race? I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Thanks. Thanks, schools. Um, yeah. So I just want to, because this is another another conversation that's really starting among uh, white folks right now. Is talk to your kids about race. Yeah. It is not an adult subject because you know your your black parents, uh, people of color parents have to mm-hmm. talk to their kids about race. Yeah, let's talk about the. Black Wall Street in Tulsa, 1921. Well, yes. Let's, <laughs> let's give a more fair and balanced approach yeah. to how we teach you in history, including all of the atrocities. And honestly, it is more atrocity than good things that have happened. Yeah. Just make people's history I mean, like required history. reading in first grade. Um, yeah. And, and I just, that just, that memory really called back to me. Yeah. Of why, I can see why. Why it is so important to talk about yeah. race. And to have diverse representation and in the things, the books your kids are reading, the mm-hmm. TV shows, and how you talk to kids. Here's a weird thing. You know how, you want to know how I remember the O.J. Simpson, the, the car chase in particular? Uh, I don't remember seeing the car chase. I remember the car chase being featured as an Easter egg in Duke Nukem 3D. There's a bar you go to where that chase is a, a, a animated version of that chase is happening on the TV screen in a bar in that incredibly violent and goofy video game. And that's my primary memory of the O.J. Simpson van chase. Duke Nukem is a video game? Duke Nukem is a video game. It was okay. a first-person shooter in the mid to late 90s. Um, you play like an Arnold Schwarzenegger-esque guy who shoots a bunch of aliens from outer space. And has lots of sex with hot babes, man. Well, that is interesting text. Right? (laughs) I do remember watching The Chase live on TV as a kid. I do remember that. Can we talk about that opera singer? Oh, yeah. Jesse Norman. Yeah, that was cool. That's all I got. (laughs) 
but the idea of the roar, you know, we we wouldn't have music, we would have a roar. Right, so she's making Just, a comparison to the civil rights of the 1960s would often start with, like, a song, and then mm-hmm. there would be the organized march, and... Um, we, we would sing through it, as she put it. Yeah, and she was saying, like, now kids, that like, I think what would come out of them is not words but just this roar yeah and and to just keep roaring which i think is is a fantastic way to contextualize the violence of these movements and these protests is that roar it is it is wordless and you know nothing else works there is no path to justice yeah through the paths that we have created yeah in this country they're not for you no yeah I thought that was really cool. I really, I really enjoyed that moment. One of the few significant hair changes for Devere Smith as well. That's true. In that moment. That's true. I'm like, oh, she's got different hair now. Yeah, I think that the use of archival footage was really weird in the context of this performance, which is why I feel like it wouldn't be used in the stage play. I feel like it would be harmful almost looking at it now well not i mean not even just the rodney king stuff but like mm. i mean all of the the violence you see um all of the the i almost said stock footage but all of the live footage of burning buildings and you know people crowding and protesting i i feel like it is more effective on a tv screen than it would be as a projection in a theatrical space well here's a bit more of context yeah it appears that this um was filmed and aired in 1999. Okay. And so I'm wondering, I could be wrong, but at least that was one of the placards. Mm -hmm. um, At the the, end. The text. No, it was at the beginning. Oh, the beginning. Where it's like, uh, you see her driving. Oh, yeah. In 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 Los Angeles, 99. So it may be a fear of people have forgotten. Yeah. What... What that looked like. What it looked like. Yeah. Or for kids like me who were like... Oblivious. Unaware. We're now, you know, teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, and didn't didn't have a context. Yeah. For it. That's true. So I don't know. I don't know. Interesting thought. I do think that the most interesting use of the footage, though, was when they were all at a dinner. Anna DeVere Smith, the activist, yeah. the That looked police. like it was new footage. Yes. That yes, did, it yeah. did. Like from 99. Yes. Yes, it did. And and the way that they were talking about it put it more in the more distant past. Yeah. Not that. Yeah, that was fascinating. <laughs> seven years that distant, but like. Woo. <laughs> what a dinner table to, yeah. be, sitting, to be sitting at. Police chief, activists, yeah. Uh, yeah, I would have liked to see. That would have been real, real neat. More, more of that, um, of things. Yeah, I think that's one of the things about all of this is there's always, like in a production like this, there's always so much that's left out. Like oh, yeah. out of three hundred interviews, getting ninety minutes of of performance. Right, which is why it's not like a objective objective overall. <laughs> yeah. It's a narrative. But so are all documentaries. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all books about history. Yeah, like you gotta, that's how they work. That's how it works. <laughs> Which is not to say you can be 
more fair subjectively and less fair. There is a difference between facts and lying. Mm-hmm. Or mis- and, misleading. Yes. Misinforming, taking out of context. Mm-hmm. Because they're all narratives, so you can you can present live footage of things and tell a lie with it. <laughs> you can use actual dialogue. I think about um, Franken quotes when I watch documentaries all the time, um, and how I do this when I'm watching like any TV show. I'm looking for ADR. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a fun game it's a fun game and once you start noticing it's real hard to stop and it doesn't hurt the show at all like that's just how tv is made how movies are made stuff gets done in adr a lot to change meanings and mix up things but in reality shows i look for it all the time because you don't usually have adr on reality shows you have franken quotes and like reality tv is related to documentary filmmaking in a lot of ways and I always wonder, like, how in film to documentaries, as opposed to something like Anna DeVere Smith, which could, for all means, have Franken quotes. You know, I'm sure she's cutting down interviews to make them. They're not. She's not just taking complete snippets out. I suspect. I don't. I know. think that. I think that she is. But I got. I don't check, know. I got. I don't know. Sources. Um, I don't think she is heavily editing them i don't think she's creating franken quotes so to speak but to my point in documentaries before you get to the thing you're going to say to me because i'm sure that's fascinating um i'm now trained to look for them in like lots of documentaries that i watch and i watched like the war room which was also from 1992 because it was about the 1992 election um presidential election which is really fascinating and i think it's interesting that when you divorce the stories and the people from the text in the way that Anna Devere Smith does, she distances these characters from themselves, how you, you can't catch those in the same way. You, mm. It's impossible because you're staring right at it. Right. She's saying it. there's no way to know if a Franken quote was done other than trusting the, the creator. Cool. Now we're going to explain Franken quotes. Oh, sure. <laughs> uh, I, was gonna say, I, I don't know what the journalistic standard is for cutting down quotes mm-hmm. and that would be an interesting question because i i could see her maybe going to like a journalistic standard yes what. and I, I i think about like the you know the the note you see a lot of interviews like this editor, interview has been lightly edited for clarity and time mm-hmm. and i think i suspect that's about the level that we're dealing with in terms of anna devere smith's editorial decisions because i think she has enough footage so to speak to tell any story she wants mm-hmm. like i don't think that it's necessary to make people tell lies mm-hmm. through her work. I don't think that doesn't help her process at all. <laughs> it doesn't, certainly doesn't help the work at all. Um, but yeah, Franken quotes and ADR. <laughs> what are those, Amy? Okay. So Franken quotes, which often, most often happen in, in reality shows. And so now when you watch a reality show, you can watch it, but it's where, um, it's usually done in a voiceover. Voiceover, um, or if the character's face is off screen. Yeah, so you can, in some way you cannot see their mouth moving. Mm-hmm. It will be one quote they started saying spliced with another quote at the end of what they were saying. Mm-hmm. So it's cutting out. It can cut out the middle of a sentence, or it can combine from two completely different interviews. Yeah, that, weeks that apart. <laughs> uh, it is not a fair or true representation of what the person. Well, fair, 
that's <laughs> but it's not really it's not a true representation of yes. what what the person it is on reality show literally said. putting people's words in their mouths. Yes. Or it's the old the old joke about, you know, in interviews where things get ellipses out that are important words like not <laughs> or, you know, um uh what I was gonna say I you know, I did not have sex with that woman. I did have sex with that woman, but you put an ellipses in the middle, and so mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's a whole new word. Yeah. And it's like, well, that those words were said by the person, but you cut out so the important it, part. It really is taking it out of context. Yes, it is destroying context. Yeah. Uh, and often misleading, because mm-hmm. it's, it's doing what the producers wish that the person would have said, yes. rather than what they actually... For the story that they're trying to tell. Yeah, because it's all a story. It is it's all storytelling. Scripted. It's all, it's not, it's not written in advance, but it's all scripted. (laughs) Sometimes. Sometimes it's written in advance. That was a thing that, um, the real Orange County, was that one of the first MTV ones that like led eventually? The Hills. hills, Yeah. There were like three or four that were sort of like linked to each other in the early or mid 2000s. Um, they were one of the first ones who ever got in trouble for like pre-scripting scenes mm-hmm. and it was like, well, it wasn't scripted, but the producers just said, come in and have a fight. Right. <laughs> told, it's basically like an improv scene. Yeah. These are the circumstances we're going to be going over. Make sure you hit these moments. Yeah. Hit your mark. <laughs> or sketch. It's less of yeah. improv, but more of sketch. Yeah. Sketch comedy, but not comedy. Yes. <laughs> Some of it's funny. <laughs> Uh, so that's a Franken quote. And ADR is, again, when a character's, and this is going to happen in all your TVs and film, mm-hmm. is when a character's mouth is not being shown on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and sometimes when they are. Sometimes if, when if, they if are. They you can spot it. Yeah. yeah if, they, if they're, uh, and then it's recorded in the studio and put onto the TV and film. And it can be done either because uh, they went back and added some lines. Mm-hmm. They wanted to kind of change yeah, they the, want to the, change the dialogue or change the meaning of something or just add a better joke. Yeah, or because the mics got didn't work yeah, out well. Yeah, didn't pick it up on stage. So that and that's and yeah, ADR is not a bad thing in terms of like TV or, or movie film. It's just that's just part of the process. Mm-hmm. Um, although when it's really obvious, it's really obvious. <laughs> um, there's the the example that I think is. Um, if you want to go see some really obvious ADR, uh, go watch the movie The Snowman. Um, I could have solved it for you. Um, Val Kilmer plays a minor character in that show, and this is while he was recovering from his throat surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and he filmed it while being basically unable to talk. And like I have lots of feelings for Val Kilmer as an actor and like this stuff he's gone through and dealt with and, and this throat surgery and all these sorts of things. Um, but every line of dialogue of his was done in ADR by somebody who doesn't sound anything like Val Kilmer. Right, because we know what Val Kilmer sounds like. <laughs> and like his, his mouth never moves on screen. It always cuts away to hear whatever he's saying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just comparable to if you're watching a foreign film and it's dubbed. Yes, very similar. Uh, yeah, also for context, The Snowman is one of the worst films ever <laughs> made and released to a pub- like, the public. To the public. <laughs> So maybe don't go yeah, watch it. It's only 80% finished. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe don't go watch the snowman. Yeah. Uh any more Twilight? Um let me see. 
Oh, again, just film versus stage. I did not appreciate how much of this was shot in close-up. Again, another critique I have of these films. Yeah. The same one with Fires in the Mirror. Yeah. It's like, yes, Anna Devere Smith does a ton of work with her face, but she does a ton of work with her body. <laughs> I would like to see that work. And it's not something written for film, yeah. which is more close-up than when you're sitting in the audience of a, a stage show. Yeah. I, I just, I wanted to see more of her body work. Like, like the scene at the end when Twilight is talking and we get that full body shot of her, like, that was beautiful. Like, again, the, the embodied space of this character, you know, basically just standing there and like turning to the camera, but it worked so well that I'm like, I wish I could have seen that for all the other people. Mm-hmm. And we got one with Kamala Harris. No, Maxine Maxine Waters. Waters. <laughs> I knew I was going to do that. I knew I was going to do that. <laughs> I wrote down Maxine Waters so I would remember not to do something stupid like that. <laughs> That's white supremacy at work. It is. It's also Kevin's brain. Yeah, I say the wrong words a lot. He says the wrong but words, when but... it comes out as racism, I got to call it out. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. And that was that. Was that. Um, yes, when Maxine Waters was giving a speech in the show, you did see her full body. And again, it was that performance i think brought a lot to it mm-hmm. and with maxine waters it's interesting because we've seen a lot of maxine waters recently yes um for doing the same sort of stuff she was doing back in 92 um you know fighting for the people that no one else is fighting for um which i i was thinking about like man it's got to be tough to be maxine waters and still be fighting the same fight i mean it's true for all of the people who are fighting the same fight but she's still doing it she's still up there on the hill every single day <laughs> Reclaiming her time. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, this was an interesting thought. Um, the two jurors, in contrast yeah. to each other, from keep, the first and second trial. So we get we get an interview with an anonymous male juror from the first trial, and the entire conversation is about his life after the conviction or lack thereof after the not guilty verdict and how people were yelling at him and how he got what we would say in today's parlance doxxed people were publishing his address he was getting death threats and how miserable he was after all of this sort of stuff which i was i was like i literally wrote down like the one question he's not answering is why like that's the one thing i want to know like if i'm hearing an interview of the juror of the people who beat up rodney king i want to hear why did you vote not guilty like what convinced you to do that because that's what i'm interested in and he didn't answer that and maybe he did in the larger interview i don't know but we certainly weren't shown that in this narrative Um, in contrast with maria the juror number seven from the second trial um who very much did explain why and and also, you know, said there was no doubt about it. Yeah, of course he was guilty. You know, this guy was definitely guilty. The other two we had to talk about it for a little while. And then we had the AA meeting where everybody just spilled all their guts. And, yeah. and then we voted guilty. <laughs> um, that was an, an interesting dichotomy in the show. It was. And, I like, the white juror from the acquittal trial mm-hmm. was played to elicit... Not nah, I interpreted it... Interpreted it sympathetically yes because there appeared to be remorse mm-hmm. um over something over something 
I'm not sure he was remorseful for his decision, but... But what happened afterwards. Yes. But I did... This may be me doing too much work in my head. Um, kind of also think of it... So one of the interviewees was a witness to the beating. Um, and she was talking about... She came forward. She was a witness. And the prosecution was like, nope. no, this was a lineup with the police officer. So story, we're not going to show you. So, yeah. Um, which to me implied, or I inferred, that um, the prosecution was basically softballing it and setting mm-hmm. them up to be acquitted. Mm-hmm. And whatever they showed, I, I mean, just in jury selection alone, yeah. um, with a, all white, middle class, uh, predominantly, almost all white. No, it was, um, it was an all white jury. Uh, all white jury. That they were intentionally being set up to acquit. Yes. I'm going to go look at this mouse real quick. Um, we may cut off here. Because... Right, we're still recording. Okay, we're still recording. <laughs> just, um, I saw I go blank and I'm like, oh no. But you're right. That was me inferring a whole lot of information. Yeah. To that. Uh, no, I think I sure. think it was interesting also because we do the majority of that interview with with the first juror is done in profile. He's not speaking to us, which is atypical for the rest That's of the true. movie, um, which creates a sense of distance, but also does create that sense of maybe remorse or or disquiet almost, just because it's out of phase with everything else. Um, so I was, I was real glad when we got uh, the second juror. I think that was an important piece of contextual information. Mm-hmm. Also, how sure they were that he did it. <laughs> I mean, I was sure he did it, too, but I wasn't on the jury. Well, but the prosecution did yeah. its job. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about prosecutors and how prosecutors have to have a good relationship with the police, which is one of the many, many reasons police don't get prosecuted. Um... You know, the prosecution decides, as it were, um, that's on my, well, there's a list on my book of, on my TBR list about the justice system and the problem with prosecutors um, being sort of the sole arbiter of what gets charged and what doesn't and, and how that has impact on the justice system in our society. Um, there's no oversight. Uh, Charlton Heston was in here. That was fun. Yeah, that was where you're like, oh, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> Maybe that was just my personal feelings about Charlton Heston. Yeah. He's a racist gun-toting. I mean, it was exactly what I expected from a Charlton Heston interview. Yeah. No, no surprises there, but I thought that was interesting. Of course, that was almost immediately followed up by the woman who got shot while pregnant, mm-hmm. which was a fascinating story, and I st- I'm still thinking about, like, how does that fit into the larger narrative, because it felt... A, our TV stopped working while we were watching it, so I watched part we of it like it five like times. times. Yeah. Um, but I'm sort of thinking, like, how does this, like, other than just being a fascinating story of this moment in the middle of this violence, um, like, how does this fit into the story? Like, what does this mean here? How does this mean? Um, and even if it's just a really interesting story that she tells about her unborn child saving her life and coming out okay. Like, I was so worried that that story was not going to end happily. Yeah. It was very tense. It was, and the way it ended, she was saying you got lodged in the baby's elbow. Yeah. And, like, thank God. Her her kind of 
way she was saying it was, thank God it got wedged in her elbow. Otherwise, we'd both be dead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they were both okay. And you even hear, I think the mom was talking to her child. Um, she, she had a couple of sides to, to someone off camera, so to speak, that I think was the child we were hearing the story about, but I don't know the timing on that. So, Yeah. And we don't know who shot her because it was, it was just during the... It was a stray bullet. Yeah. yeah. I was just thinking of the woman, I was looking up her name, who was shot here in Austin two weeks ago. Oh. Um, Saranika or Saranika Nemo, Nemo, uh, Martin, mm-hmm. pregnant protester yes. here in Austin that was shot by the police. Yes. Yeah. I want to hear her story. Uh, well, she's coming. Oh, I'm sure. It's coming out. <laughs> I'm and sure. she's calling for accountability. Um, Good. The ABD. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, watching, you know, watching this with what's watching going on now, what happened in Ferguson, mm-hmm. like... Yeah, that was a moment um, of, um, oh, like, oh, at the very beginning, it's got an introduction by Anna Devere Smith from 2015. Right. <laughs> about the special encore presentation of Los Angeles... Twilight Los Angeles, and I'm like, oh yeah, this has been going on forever. <laughs> right, right. So after we have Ferguson and Trayvon Martin yeah. happening right around. Yeah, no, yeah. there's nothing new. There's nothing new. There's nothing new about it. Yeah. And and it just, uh, white folks just like. They forget. You don't have to see it anymore, so you forget. Yeah. Or you think it's gotten better. Yeah. You gotta keep doing the work. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I hope watching something like this for someone who is just starting out on maybe some anti-racism work, uh, you know, it helps them to think about different perspectives mm-hmm. and individuality. Because uh, I think a lot of the films about, like, black lives and black justice that that white people consume are make it a very clear, like, dichotomy between... Bad and good. Bad and good. <laughs> yeah. And it's very easy as a viewer to, you know, as a white viewer to position yourself and like, clearly this is an injustice mm-hmm. against someone based on the color of their yeah. skin. And I would never do that. Yeah. Or I think I think something that happens along with it as well is that there's a fear of doing something wrong um, or a fear that like a tiny mistake will, will ruin your life or, you know, something terrible will happen and the... the the PC police will come get you if you say it incorrectly because you're still learning. Um, when most of the time it's just people calling you to account and saying like, hey, I think you screwed this one up. And you got to own that. Well, you will screw it up. You will. And it will feel horrible. And it people will. will yell at you. Yep. Um, and you got to sit in that uncomfortability. And you got to sit in that. Yeah. And and you got to own it and make it better. You've been there. I will be there again. Yeah. I, We've yeah. probably done it on this podcast in ways we don't even understand yet. Yeah. Well... <laughs> Um, no one listens, so... It's fine. <laughs> it's not fine. It's not fine. But you can never be perfect. Yeah. You, uh, you're always going to say the wrong. You're always going to say the wrong. It is thing. always a journey. Uh, yeah. And there's a lot of other media to keep watching. Yeah. And, and engaging. I don't think I've got anything else I wanted to talk about. Do you have anything else? Um... We talked a lot. We went over an hour, which I'm not surprised on something like this. Yeah. There's... There's, There's a, lot. a lot here. And that wasn't that Oh yeah, this is again everything. just first impressions. Like I'm going to I'm going to think about this for a long time like I always do with Anna Devere Smith stuff. Well, and I also said while I was watching I was like, 
oh, this is really fast-paced. Like, I feel like I need to watch this again to just catch all the nuance and, like, what's yeah. happening. Oh. So much going on. So much happening. Yeah. And then I think about, like, I'm Andrew Smith's great, and I love this work, and I'm happy she's working. But then I think about, like, her work on, like, Blackish or when she, like, played a prosecutor in something. Like, she, she's an actress in it. Or, she, no, she was, she was in The West Wing. Me. Yeah. Um, West Wing's a good show. It's got a lot going on. Um, but it, I always laugh a little bit when I see Anna Devere Smith playing simple roles, for lack of a like better term. Like regular acting. Like regular like acting. Good old <laughs> Just because I know what she's capable of. And so seeing her just like as a film actor or as a TV actor is always a little bit jarring the first couple of minutes. <laughs> It's like, oh, she's just playing one character, like, in relationship to everybody else in the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think she does a good job with all of those things. She's not bad, but yeah. it's it's unexpected. Yeah, it's always fun <laughs> for when she arrives at the TV show. Yeah. But I think... And that's all I got. I think we, we talked it out. There We're not done, but... There are a million but... more things to talk about. Yeah. yeah. Smith go watch, and this go play watch this play. Other work go watch Fires in the Mirror. Go watch... What the audience is for, and... Yeah. Uh, who the audience is and keep hearing new perspectives yeah yeah cool say good night amy good night it's a lot of stuff it's a lot of stuff